This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. Well, I want to continue this morning what we started last night on the courts of heaven and, and beginning to maybe understand how to function uh, in this particular dimension of the spirit as we called it last night. Uh, and again, I'll say this again, that the courts of heaven is not a formula, it's not a new method of praying. It is a spiritual dimension that we actually step into and begin to function there. And that when we can, be, when we can realize that, that, that there is a realm in the spirit that is called the courts of heaven, then we by faith posture ourselves and begin to move into that. So I want you to look with me in Revelation chapter 12. We could talk about a lot of different things, but I want you to look, look at Revelation chapter 12, and I want to read a very probably familiar verse of Scripture to us in verses 10 and 11. And you maybe have never read this from the concept that something legal is transpiring in the spirit world. But before I go there, let me just say this. See, you need to understand that the cross was the greatest legal transaction of history. The cross was a legal transaction. That when Jesus died on the cross, in in John chapter 19 and verse 30, he said, it is finished. See, what did he mean by that? He meant every mandate, every legal mandate, every legal requirement that is necessary for God to reclaim creation back to himself has just now been met. That Jesus fulfilled everything that was necessary. So the legal mandates were done. So when Jesus died on the cross, the cross was a legal transaction that occurred. Okay, here's what we've been doing. In other words, it allowed God to render a verdict. That's why the Bible says that the powers of the devil were destroyed and that the devil himself, his works were destroyed. So what we've been doing for 2,000 years is we have been executing into place the finished works of the cross. See, that's what we've been doing. The the fullness or the finality of that will be when there is a new heaven and a new earth. You see, whenever when all of creation has been reclaimed and there is now a new heaven and a new earth, the full execution of the verdict shall come into place. Let me just show you this. Before I read Revelation 12 and verse 10, 11, let me show you the scripture in John chapter 16. John chapter 16. At verses 8 through 11. You'll be familiar with this as well. It says, and when he was come, or when he has come, Jesus speaking of the Holy Spirit, he will convict or convince or persuade the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. And of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Okay, it says he will convict the world of sin. It says because they do not believe the one that was sent. So the sin is unbelief. Okay, but then he says of righteousness because you'll see me no more. In other words, the Holy Spirit is going to help us to understand what real righteousness is. See, without the Holy Spirit, we're going to either become legalist or we're going to become those that are lawless. We'll get into one of two ditches, but it is the Holy Spirit that helps us understand the real path of righteousness. But this is the one I want to get to, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. So here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, look, when, whenever I die on the cross and I'm resurrected, I go back to heaven and then I receive from the Father the Holy Spirit and I send him back into the earth because that's exactly what happened. Whenever he shows up, here's what he's going to do. He is going to 
execute into place the finished works of the cross. Or watch this. He said, he said, the ruler of this world, he will help you understand that when I died on the cross, I judged the ruler of this world. A verdict was rendered against him. But the Holy Spirit is coming to empower you to execute that judgment into place so that you get the full benefits of everything I died for you to have. You see, every time, see, and by the way, that's what the anointing is for. When the anointing comes, it is, it is God, through the Spirit, executing into place the finished works of the cross. And whether it's healing or it's prosperity or it's, it's family harmony or whatever it may be, we are putting into place everything Jesus died for. Now, what I want, here's what I want you to get. That's what you do in the courts of heaven. You go into the courts of heaven and you stand before the Lord in the courts of heaven and you understand legally what has been accomplished by Jesus on the cross and then we take that and we put it into place until the full reality of everything Jesus died for us to have comes into our life. Okay, so that's what we're doing. Now, now let me, let me just throw this one at you for just a moment. In Galatians 3.13, the Bible says, a bishop just said this. Galatians 3.13, it says, that, it says that, that he that hung on the cross became a curse for us so that we are delivered from the curse of the law. That's Galatians 3.13. But in Revelation 22, verse 3, when the millennial reign of Jesus is fully into place, it says, and there shall be no more curse. So here's the question. When did the curse end? Galatians 3.13 or Revelation 22.3? When did it end? See, you got to understand, Galatians 3.13 is the stated verdict of the cross. Revelation 22.3 is the full execution of that verdict into place. So what are we doing in the between time? We are going into the courts of heaven. We are taking what Jesus has done. We are answering every accusation against us that the enemy would level. We are silencing him, and we are getting the full benefits of what Jesus died for operating in our life. It doesn't happen automatically. You have to do it by faith. Are you getting that? Now, let's look at Revelation 12, verses 10 and 11. Revelation 12, verses 10 and 11. I'll get back over here. And here's, what he, here's this familiar verse to, for us. It says, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven. John's hearing this, so Revelator's hearing this. Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him, the accuser, by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Okay, whether you realize it or not, that is a courtroom verse. Because here's what he says. John hears a voice saying, now... Salvation and strength, the power of our God and the power of his Christ have come. Now, you would listen to that and you would say, okay, so, so that means there has been a full demonstration of the kingdom. But how many of you know there has not yet been a full demonstration of the kingdom? We have not seen a full demonstration of the kingdom. We have not seen a complete manifestation of heaven and earth. We have been contending for that as the church for, watch, 2,000 years. 
We're still contending for a full demonstration of the kingdom in the earth. If there was a full demonstration of the kingdom, all nations would be reformed. All cities would be discipled. We would have a full demonstration of the kingdom. We have not had a full demonstration of the kingdom, which that is what is being implied here. So when John hears a voice saying now, watch, it's something that he's hearing in the future. We are still contending for that voice to be released. Now watch, it says that the reason that voice can sound, the reason that voice can, re, uh, can, can be released is this. The accuser of the brethren who accuses them before God day and night has been cast down. That word accuser is the Greek word kategoros. K-A-T-A-G-O-R-O-S, kategoros. And it means a complainant at law. It means someone against you in a legal system. That's what the word means. So all of a sudden, the accuser of the brethren is not somebody talking bad about you in the earth. It's not somebody that's got a vendetta against you, that's going around slandering you. Now, that's a terrible thing, but that's not what this is. Because, the, watch this, the, this accuser of the brethren... Number one, it's something, it's someone that's operating legally against you. That's bringing a complaint against you in a legal system. Number two, it's before God. Those who are accusing you are not before God. And it's night and day. It's perpetual. It's ongoing. And I don't care how bad they're going after you, nobody's doing it probably night and day. So when the Bible is talking about the accuser here, it's not someone in the natural realm speaking against you. It is someone speaking against you in the spirit dimension. That is denying you the right to have what you were made for, what you were created for, to have the fullness of all Jesus died for you to have. Remember the word last night, antidikos, one that is here to deny you what's rightfully yours. Are you following me so far? So watch this. It says, watch, it says that the reason this voice can sound is because the accuser, the legal entity that has been resisting you, is now silenced and is cast down. So here's what you need to understand. This is going to radically reshape some people's thinking. If you could see into the spirit world, the demon, the demonic thing you're contending against, for a nation, for a city, maybe even over, over your own life. If you could see into the spirit world, that demonic thing that won't seem to let you come into the fullness of what Jesus died for you to have, watch. He would not be dressed in battle garb. He would have on a three-piece suit in a legal system. You got to get this. Why? Because if you don't get this, you're going to keep, you're going to practice the wrong protocol because you're going to think you're on a battlefield when in reality you're in a courtroom. Because if you think you're on a battlefield, but you're really in a courtroom and you're, you're going after the demonic forces from a battlefield mentality, which we all have done, watch, if you do that, then and, and without taking away the legal right of that thing, that thing is going to backlash after you. It's going to come after you. 
So you have to know how. I told you last night, Revelation 19, 11, the Bible says that Jesus, when he comes back, the, man, the way he operates, he comes back to judge, which is judicial activity, and then to make war. He doesn't go make war first. He renders judgments into place. He gets judicial things in order, and then he goes to the battlefield. Now you say, why are you telling us this? Because I want to save your life. Because if you go after these demon powers without having their legal rights revoked, that they, watch, that they have gained from the sin and the iniquity of a culture or the sin and the iniquity of your bloodline, if you don't get those legal things moved out of the way, then they are going to come back after you and you will not be successful and you will not see the breakthrough that you want. So I tell people, I believe in going to the battlefield but only after I've been to the courtroom. Are you getting this? Because Jesus said, or John said, that which we are fighting against is not something on the battlefield, it's something in a courtroom. It's the accuser of the brethren who is accusing us before God day and night. Watch, that is stopping the full manifestation of the kingdom from coming into place. Let me put it to you this way. That is stopping the full manifestation of the kingdom in your life. So what is stopping the full manifestation of the kingdom in your life? It is voices in the spirit realm that are speaking against you. It's voices. And if you're going to get the breakthrough God has for you, you're going to have to know how to silence those voices. You're going to have to know how to step into the courts of heaven and be able to take the blood of Jesus and silence the voices that are speaking against you. Okay, so watch. He gives us three critical keys to dealing with the accuser, to dealing with this legal entity. He says, and they overcame him. How? By the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their life unto death. Okay, so three, three distinct things. We're going to probably just cover one uh, this morning, more than likely. Okay, the first one, and then we'll go, go the other tonight. Watch. The first one is, he said, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. The blood of the Lamb is used to dismiss cases against you. Let me just throw this, you just need to understand this. In Luke twenty two thirty one, 31, remember, this, remember where Jesus says to Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to have you that he might sift you as wheat. But I prayed for you that your faith would not fail when you're converted to strengthen the brethren. Okay, what you may not understand is that Jesus said, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired or asked for you. That word desired and asked in the Greek means he has demanded you be put on trial. That's what the word means. So Satan somehow or another had an awareness of the destiny of Peter. He knew what Peter was meant for, what Peter was made for, and that if he did not stop Peter, that Peter was going to have a massive effect in the world and the kingdom of God would be advanced. He knew that. So his strategy to stop Peter was to demand the right to bring him on trial. 
and to bring him before the courts of heaven and to say before the courts, I have evidence against Peter that will not allow, watch this, that will not allow him uh, to have that which he was made for. Or if you will hear, that which is written in his book in heaven. And so Jesus said, but I prayed for you, Peter, that you're, that you're, that, and, and I went into the court and I stood in your behalf. Now, just real quickly, you need to know. You would say, but wait a minute, that's Jesus. Of course he was able to do that. But you need to know, when Jesus walked the earth, he never did anything as God. Why? Because if he ever once touched his godhood, according to Philippians 2, he laid it aside. If he ever touched his godhood, he lost the right to be our savior because a man lost creation and a man had to win it back. So when Je- you got to get this, when Jesus walked the earth, he never did anything as God. He did everything as a man filled with God. You see, he was baptized in the River Jordan, and the Holy Spirit came upon him, just like the Holy Spirit comes upon us. So just like us, Jesus did, did miracles, and everything he did, he did as a man filled with God. Why? That now makes it legal for us to operate in that same realm. Because if he did, listen, if he did miracles as God, we're out of luck. We're not God. But if he did miracles as a man filled with God, now all of a sudden miracles are legal for us. Because he didn't do it as God. He did it as a man filled with God. Are you getting this? So when Jesus said to Peter, I pray for you, he did not do that as God. He did not do that as the high priest. He had not, he had not won and been placed in that position yet. He did that as a man. That he stepped into the courts of heaven and he pleaded Peter's case, answered the accusations that were against him, silenced the accuser so that Peter could have the destiny he was meant for. You see, we have to know how to do the same thing. If we, because if we don't know how to do that, we're not going to get the things that God has for us. Now, let me just um, help us maybe understand this a little further here. It says that they overcame the accuser or the voices or the case that was against them by the blood of the Lamb. In Hebrews 12, 24, here's what the Bible says. It says that we have come to the blood of sprinkling that speaks. Everybody say speaks. Speaks better things than that of Abel. If you go over into Genesis 4, you will find where Cain killed Abel. We remember that. He killed Abel. And the Abel's blood cried out from the ground. And about Genesis 4, verse 9, it says that as the blood was crying out from the ground, that God said to Cain, where is your brother? We know the story. He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? He said, what have you done? The blood of your brother is crying out. And he said, therefore, based on the testimony of that blood, I am sentencing you to be a vagabond and a fugitive in the earth. And God sentenced Cain based on a speaking blood that gave testimony before him. So here's what Hebrews says. That we have come to something better. 
That we have not come to the blood of Abel crying out. We have come to the blood of sprinkling, the blood of Jesus that is speaking better things in our behalf, that is releasing a better testimony, that is giving God the legal right to forgive us and to secure our destinies. See, because you need to understand this. God has always had a heart to forgive. He just needed a legal right to do it from. You see, God's passion has always been to forgive. He just didn't have the legal right to do it from. He needed the legal right. The blood of Jesus speaking in our behalf grants God that legal right. So watch, when it says that we overcome him by the blood of the Lamb, it is talking about the blood that is speaking in your behalf. The blood that is speaking in our behalf. That literally because of what the blood is saying, I can come and watch this. I can agree with the testimony of that blood. How do I do that? I do that through confession. Remember what 1 John 1, 9 says. That if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The word confess there is the Greek word homologio. And it means, among other things, to release Cooperating testimony. It, it's a legal term. It means to release agreeing testimony. So when I confess, I am coming and I am agreeing with that which heaven is saying. I am agreeing with that which the blood is saying. And when I agree with that which the blood is speaking, I get the benefits of everything the blood was, was shed for. And it becomes a reality in my life. So the blood begins to speak. God now has the legal right not to judge me, not to condemn me, not to sentence me as he did Cain. He has the legal right to forgive me because of what the blood is saying. So we overcome every voice against us by the blood of the Lamb. We, we see that those voices dismissed. Okay, I, I'm going to tell you a story that's going to help you understand this maybe a little, a, a little more. My whole adult life, and especially my whole ministry life, for decades, there was frustration in my life because this is what would happen. I would be promised things that then those promises would be disregarded, broken, and what I was promised would never become a reality. And this would happen over and over and over again. Just promises made, broken. Promises made, broken. I finally got to the place, and I mean, some very high-profile people would make promises to me, and then nothing would come of them. And I finally got to the place, I didn't believe anything anybody said. Because I would go home and tell my wife, man, they said, we're going to do this, and we're going to do this, and this is going to happen, and nothing would ever happen. This happened so much over a period of at least two decades that my wife finally said to me, why does this always happen to you? And I said, I don't know. I'm a nice fella. But she, was, she said, why? And, and she would say, why do, why are some of these people, how did they get, this is what she would say to me, how did they get into the place they're in? How did they obtain that place? My goodness, they're not saying anything much worth listening to. Now, that was her opinion. And she's probably a little biased. But she just couldn't understand why 
it seemed that every promise made, it fell through or nothing came of it. And so I literally came to the place that I was a, I was a bona fide skeptic. Not toward God necessarily, but toward people. They would tell me things that I would think, I've been, I've been around, I've, I've played this game before. And I know where this is going absolutely nowhere. So, I'm bebopping along, living life, and this is what I finally said to God. I said, God, and I need to just tell you this. Let me just tell you this piece of it, too. Back in, in the mid-90s, when I was leading an apostolic center in Texas, early on, I sent my staff uh, to, uh, or, or me and my staff went away on a retreat. And as we went, as we went away on the retreat, um, the Lord has spoke to me and said, now tonight, I'm going to walk into the room like I did among the disciples when they were, after Jesus was, 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 had died, they, they were, you know, in the, in the room with closed doors. And Jesus walked through the wall and through the closed door into the room. Jesus said, I'm going to do that tonight. And sure enough, we went away on this tree. We began to pray. We were worshiping. And I mean, God's presence came into that room so strong, probably the strongest I had ever encountered him at that, at that moment. And so as his presence came in the room, we're all on the floor in front of our seats and we're just worshiping and, and, and the, just the deep sense of his glory was there. And I wasn't trying to hear God. I wasn't asking God for anything. But all of a sudden, he spoke to me. And this is what he said. I will make your name as one of the great men of the earth. Now, I wasn't asking for that. But I heard that as clear as a bell. I knew that God had said that. And I thought this church that I'm leading is going to get really powerful, dynamic. It's going to grow. And everybody's going to know my name because of what's going to happen with the church. Well, that never happened. And then time progressed, and then God told me to hand it off. We began to travel. But I always knew. I never even told this word because I knew I held it in my heart, and I knew what God had said. I knew I had heard him from heaven, but I couldn't see how it would happen. So every time someone would make me a promise of something that was going to happen, I would think, this is it. This is the way God's going to do this. This is the way he's going to increase my realm of influence. This is the way he's going to accomplish it, and then it would fall through. And then I would be frustrated and disappointed and disillusioned. Anybody ever been there? And this happened over and over again. Listen, if you have a repeating pattern in your life, it's a sure sign there's something legal against you. I promise you it's a sure sign. So, so this is happening over and over and over. So I, I get this phone call from this very, very, very well-known ministry that wants me to come on television. And I think, oh, this is it. This is it. And so I go through all the, the motions and everything they asked. It took weeks to get everything in place. And as I got everything in place, they said these words to me, you are now in the queue. Now, the reason I remember that term is because that's not something, that's not a term we use in, where I'm from in Texas. We don't use the word queue. That's a little bit too sophisticated for us. So we, but they said, we're in the queue. I was in the queue. We'll call you. We'll let you know when it's time for you to come to, to be on our television show. We'll, we'll get you scheduled for these things. And so I'm waiting. So a month passes, nothing happens. I don't think a whole lot about it. Two months, nothing happens. Three months, nothing happens. Six months, nothing happens. I tell my assistant, would you please call them or email them and see what's happening 
She emails him, no response. Eight months, nothing happens. Nine months, a full year. A full year. I finally say, I don't even want to be on the television show. <laughs> Forget it. This is one more person that can't seem to tell the truth. Just the way I was, what I felt. I was so, I was so jaded. I was such a skeptic. I was a cynic because this has happened over and over and over and over. And I had had it. I was done. I said to God, God, I didn't ask for any of this. I didn't ask you to make my name great. I didn't ask you to do any of this. You said that. You brought it up, not me. I wasn't even thinking about it. You told me this. Lord, I'm not trying to be anybody great. If this is what I'm supposed to do, if this is the realm of influence I'm supposed to have, I'm fine with it. I'm okay with this. That's where I was. So how many of you know God is gracious? So watch what happens. I suddenly have a dream. And in my dream... My great-great-grandfather, through negligence, had injured someone. I never, I never had this thought in my whole life. But in my dream, my great-great-grandfather has injured someone. And because of what he did back in the day that I never knew anything about and didn't know him, obviously, there was now a present-day judgment from a court against me. And... And, and I woke up, and it was the, the dream was so strong that when I began to awake, I thought, this is really happening in the natural. This, this is really taking place. There's a, there's a judgment from a natural court against me. I mean, it, I, that's what I thought because the dream was so strong. And when I got awake, I realized, oh, it's a dream. And I was like, oh, thank you that it's a dream. But then I thought, but God's saying something. He is showing me an iniquity in my bloodline that the enemy is using against me. And so I got up and I went to prayer. Here's what I did. I went into the courts of heaven by faith. I said, Lord, I'm coming before your courts and I am repenting for myself and I'm repenting for my bloodline and I'm, ex I'm specifically repenting for my great-great-grandfather for any place that he through negligence in injured somebody. And as I'm praying this, the Lord says to me, he through negligence stole the dreams of someone away. Therefore, the devil has had the legal right to steal your dreams away. And so I would tears, I mean, deep a deep sense of repentance came over me. And I began to repent in behalf of myself, but my, my, my family, but especially my great-grandfather. And I, you know, it, it took a, a little while as I just worked through it and processed through it. And I remember thinking if I knew who he injured, I would try to go to that family and bring some kind of restoration. But I don't have any details. All I know is what God showed me. And I dealt with that and I repented of it. And I thought, okay, I don't know what all that was about. I feel like something shifted and moved. So, so I leave on a trip, and I'm in California. I live in Texas. I'm in California. I mean, this is real quick afterwards. And suddenly as I'm at lunch, my phone starts to ring. And there's a number on it, and it's from the section of the country where this television ministry is that I haven't heard from in a year. And I'm thinking, 
is that that is that that ministry? Because it, you know, I don't have the number in my phone, and and I think, but that's I think I better because I don't normally answer calls I don't you know don't recognize. So I thought, well, I'm just going to answer it. So I answered it, and sure enough, I said I said hello, and this very pleasant lady said, "Is this Mr. Henderson?" And I said, "Yes, ma'am, it is." And she said, "This is so and so." She told me. And I'm from this ministry. Watch. And she said, we want to talk to you about being on our show. And all of a sudden, all that anger that I felt before, it started coming back up. And I said, I've already talked to you. And she said, so nice. She said, you have? I said, yes, ma'am. You told me I was in the queue. She said, we did? And I said, yes, ma'am. That's been over a year ago. You told me you would call me very quickly, line me up, and I never heard from you. And I'm being very, very mean because I'm upset. I'm st- I didn't realize I was still upset, but I was still upset. And she was being so nice. And so she said, well, Mr. Anderson, could I please put you on hold? And I thought, no, no. I've been on hold for over a year. But she put me on hold. Very shortly she came back and she said that she said, Mr. Henderson, we have no record we ever talked to you. That the enemy had been able to completely eradicate and erase the fact that I even existed or was even on their radar screen. And then she said, but would you, would you still want to be on the show? And at that moment I had a revelation. If you want to be on this show, you better be nice. And so I said, yes, ma'am, I would. And she said, well, what we, re- we really would want you to be. And so she said, let's get this lined up. So long story short, they put me on. I've been on that show three, time, three times, and literally we set records by the response that was gotten over the message of the courts of heaven that it continues to break records. And, and God opened up whole spheres of opportunity to me through that show. But watch, and, and watch, why did that happen? Here's why it happened. I dealt with the legal thing the enemy would was using to steal my dreams away I went before his courts repented in particular for the for the sin of negligence of my great great grandfather that had been used to deny me what really belonged to me what was really God's intent for my life and from that point on it's just been it's been a succession of opportunities after opportunities after opportunities after opportunities I'm even standing in Harare Zimbabwe listen I'm the same guy I was I've always been I'm the same guy I don't have a greater anointing than I had before. No, I'm the same guy. I've been for years, even for decades. What's different? I dealt with the legal issue the enemy was using to deny and delay my destiny. Listen, it didn't happen. It did not happen because I yelled at the devil, bound him and all those kind of things. It was because I went into the courts and dealt with the legal issue from my bloodline that the enemy was using to stop his, the, the purposes of God in my life. And I got them dismissed through the blood of the Lamb. Let me tell you one more story real quick. 
because I could tell you many. But since I've understood this principle, it's changed my perspective of the spirit world. Somebody, somebody would say, what has this revelation done for you? It changed my perspective of the operation in the spirit world. From battlefield to courtroom. It changed it. Because you're, you're looking at a guy that was a warrior. I would attack hell with a water pistol. But watch this, I would get my butt kicked. I wasn't being victorious. Watch all that, all that stuff I did. I don't know that I can ever point to one breakthrough. But when I discovered that the issue is a legal one, it changed everything. So I'm away on a, on a ministry trip. I'm always going on a ministry trip. I travel about 240 days out of the year right now, which is too much, but we're trying to get it under control. And I have this dream. And in my dream, you'll notice that God speaks to me in dreams a lot. But they're very real prophetic dreams. Okay, so, so I have this dream. And in my dream, my wife Mary is walking toward me. And, and as she gets to me, she says these words, I'm getting stronger and stronger. Now, there had been nothing wrong with her. But this is just what she said. And I knew she was saying to me, physically, I'm getting stronger and stronger. Now, I'm not trying to freak anybody out, but standing behind her in my dream was her Aunt Mildred, who has been dead for 20-something years. And I knew she was in the cloud of witnesses. And she's got her arms folded, and she's standing behind Mary. And while Mary is saying, I'm getting stronger and stronger, Mildred is shaking her head, saying no. And I knew she was saying, she wasn't talking, but she was communicating. No, she's getting weaker and weaker and is going to die prematurely. Now, you got to understand, I knew, the moment I had that, I knew it was a plot and a scheme of the devil that was working in the women of Mary's bloodline to take them out prematurely. I knew that. So I'm trying to figure out how to go home and talk to my wife about this because if what I'm seeing is correct, then my wife is in danger of dying prematurely and not fulfilling her life. So finally I decided, I'm just going to tell her. So I told her, and my, my wife is so stable, so, so emotionally strong. It didn't freak her out at all. She said, yeah. I'm like, wow. Uh, she said, I, I said, well, you know your mother died when she was 58. And she said, yes. And my grandmother died when she was 40. I didn't know that. And she said, I don't know what happened before then. So there it was, the evidence in the bloodline of premature death. And I said, well, the intentions of the enemy is to take you out prematurely. So I said, well, we need to do something. So, so I called a very good prophetic person that I trust. Well, we Skyped, actually. And I said, look, this is what I've seen. We need to deal with this. So we went in before the Lord. We, we went, if you will, and stood in the courts of heaven. And we just prophetically said, okay, Lord, what is the issue here? What is allowing the enemy the legal right to work against the women of this bloodline? To take them out prematurely. And as we, done, as we were doing this, suddenly this, this seer said, asked Mary, said, is there any masonry in your bloodline? And Mary said, my grandfather was a mason. So we, she began to repent and renounce any connection to masonry in her bloodline. But then there was an awareness. I'm just putting it this way. There was an awareness that there were women in Mary's bloodline 
that had been breeders for the Masons, which literally were used for sexual gratification, but also to breed children for the Masonic cause. It's almost like, you know, brides of Satan type thing. And there were women in the bloodline that had given themselves to that. So based on that, there was a legal right for the enemy to claim the women and say, these people belong to me. So we went into the courts and we said, Lord, we're asking. First of all, Mary said, I repent for every activity in my bloodline connected to masonry. And I ask for that thing to be dissolved and removed. I ask for the blood of Jesus to speak in my behalf. I also ask that any women in my bloodline that gave themselves to that purpose, I ask that you would please forgive me. And you would let that iniquity and that sin, Lord, you would let that thing be washed away. Now, I need to say something here. When you do this, you're not trying to change the eternal destiny of someone in the bloodline. Their own life determines their destiny. All you're doing is dealing with the legality that the enemy is still trying to use to stop you and your future. And so Mary repented of this and asked for the blood to speak. And all of a sudden, there was a breaking. There was a removing. Then it was sensed and understood that someone, I'm just telling you, give this real short, that someone in Mary's bloodline had made this statement, take me instead of them. And whenever they made that statement, they made a covenant with death. Because there was an awareness that this had happened. And, and a whole awareness of certain other things. But out of the awareness, there was repentance that was walked in. Listen, saying that to, to say all this, every covenant with the demonic and every issue of iniquity was cut off because of Mary's repentance and agreement with what the blood was saying. And we are satisfied and sure that we have dealt with any legal right the enemy would use to take her out prematurely. Because she doesn't want to leave me because I am Mr. Wonderful. I'm just joking about that. No, we have a destiny together. And the enemy would like nothing better than to disrupt that. So you need to know how to use the blood and agree with the blood. Because it's speaking on your behalf. Would you stand with me? Because you have to know how to go before the courts. We're not yelling at demons. We're not, we're not going through some formula of binding and loosing, which, by the way, the terms binding and loosing are legal terms at their core. Binding implies getting a binding contract in place. Loosing is the idea, among other things, of dissolving a contract. So we literally dissolve contracts with hell so that they have no more legal right to operate against us. Now, we're going to go, and listen, I'm just going to tell you straight up here. You have to know how to get the cases and the voices silenced against you. But the next thing it says, and they overcame by the word of the testimony. We're going to go into this tonight. Watch. It's one thing to get a case dismissed. It's another thing to present a case in your behalf. And that's what the word of the testimony is. And we're going to go into that. But if, if you if you not got the case dismissed, then you can't go before the Lord and present your case. So would you say this with me as we stand here? Say, Lord Jesus.
as we stand before your courts. We thank you for the blood that is speaking in our behalf right now. And we ask that every voice against us, every voice from my life, every voice from uh, against my bloodline, every iniquity, every covenant, Lord, we are saying that the blood of Jesus is speaking in our behalf and is silencing those voices so that the accuser's voice cannot resist the purpose and the destiny of God. I am asking and agreeing with the voice of the blood that is speaking for me and all that is joined to me. I say the enemy has no more legal right. His rights are revoked because of the voice of the blood that is speaking for me today. In Jesus' name, amen. Give the Lord a good praise. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.